Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. It's a joy to be with you, and I pray that the Lord is blessing you and that you're enjoying this fall. We are doing our Sunday school hour now, and so uh, it's, a, it's a joy again just to welcome you, and I appreciate you so much taking the time to watch or listen as the case may be. If you're a teacher, may the Lord bless you and bless your class and may these uh, lessons, especially this one this week, just really encourage you and encourage your people to uh, stand up and to be faithful for the Lord. If there's anything we need right now is faithful people in this society. And if you're watching so that you can keep up with your Sunday school class, well then good, good for you. That's the kind of people that we need and I appreciate you doing that so very much. Well, the title, um, as you look at this, uh, ought to get you to thinking and kind of get your brain cells to stirring because it's kind of an illogical title and yet it is so incredibly true. Now, not that the truth is illogical, I don't mean that, but I think if we were to read this story of Daniel in the lion's den, our initial thing might be, well, Daniel is the one who's in trouble and he's confined and he's thrown into the lion's den and it's the king. You know, the king can do anything he wants. He's really free. But the title of this lesson is Daniel was free. The king was trapped. And I want you to notice as we go through this, just how truly powerless the king really was when it was all said and done. God had a plan and Daniel was in a situation where uh, those of you who were around when Wayne Robinson was here, you remember when he told us about his cancer and he made the statement, he goes, I'm in a win-win situation because if he, if he were healed here on earth, that was a win. And if he went to heaven to be with the Lord, that was also a win. And that's how he uh, kept his bearings and kept his sanity and his faith and was so even keeled through all of that until the Lord took him home because he had such a positive way. In other words, Wayne was saying, I don't lose either way. And isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said when they told the king, we're not going to bow down to your idol and our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. They were saying basically it's a win-win situation. Now, I don't find it where Daniel actually says that, but you can tell by the way that he acts through all of this and uh, that he understood that it's a win-win situation. In other words, King, I'm really not going to be bound up or trapped by you. You're the one who is trapped. And I think as we read through the text, you're going to notice this powerful man was really the one who was in the shackles. We need to understand that today. We, sometimes we feel when we look at politics, when we look at government officials, when we look at, I don't know, maybe a boss or somebody who's in authority, sometimes maybe in your own family, you may feel that way. You feel powerless and voiceless and uh, just stuck. And yet the truth of the matter is, no, you're not. You're right in the will of God or you wouldn't be there. And um, God is the one who is uh, living in you and living through you. And he brings his victory into your life if you will be surrendered to him. And Daniel's real freedom was being surrendered to the will of God. And uh, the king had no idea 
no idea what he was up against and no idea about God and about the freedom that we have in him. And he's controlled by all the people around him. Remember last week's lesson. And uh, now they're really going to put on the pressure. And I want you to think about that. And uh, I want you to live in a way where you can truly be free in spite of all of the other things that are going on around you. And hopefully this lesson will help you to get there, you and the members of your class. We're still in Daniel chapter 6. We're just taking our time going through this. Verses 11 through 15. And when we think about uh, this plot against Daniel, it's beginning to thicken here now. And uh, Daniel's enemies are going, aha, he has fallen in our trap and he doesn't even know what he's doing. We have, we have him where we want him. And uh, they didn't understand that they were the ones who had fallen into the trap. And Daniel is going to survive the lion's den. Uh, they are not. So we've got it right at the end of the introduction. Uh, little do they know. Daniel 6, 11 through 15. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Verse 13. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Notice that? Displeased with himself. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. You know what they were saying? We know what you're up to. We know what you're trying to do, king, and you can't. We've got you and Daniel right where we want you. And so there, there's my premise. Who was really the captive? Who was really the one that was free? Who really had the power in all of this? And um, I, I would submit to you, I think it was Daniel. Daniel was in a win-win situation here. Nobody else was. And so, number one, they took notice of him. First thing that we want to see. They took notice of him. He's praying. Remember, he went home after he found out that the king had signed the decree. So he's not ignorant about this. He's not stumbling into their track. He is just living life like he always did, as was his custom, the text says from last week, um, from his early days. He wasn't doing anything different. He wasn't going to change because of them. He wasn't 
necessarily just, you know, kind of uh, shaking his fist in their face or spitting in their face or poking them in the eye or anything. He's just doing what he always did. He went home, and then when it was time to pray, he opened the windows, he prayed toward Jerusalem, and um, they saw him three times. He didn't try to weasel out of it. He didn't try to uh, get out on a technicality or anything like that. He was just living his life. And guess what? They saw it. They noticed. And your friends and neighbors and family members, they notice too. And far too often we say, well, it doesn't really matter what other people think. Well, you don't find that from the Bible. Now, we don't go by what other people think, but we do care about what other people think because we want to bring glory to God. We want to be a witness to them. We want to be a help to them. We want to be an encouragement to them. And we are inextricably tied to other people. And God has formed us to be relational people. And so we make friends with people. We interact with people. We share the truth with people. We share the gospel with people. And then we live a life in front of them that confirms all of the things we say that we believe. And so, um, you know, think about, uh, since it's close to an election time, if somebody comes up to you and they say, I want your vote. I am for lower taxes, let's say, and uh, strong law enforcement, okay? They say that. And then they tell you what political party they are. Well, you give them some money and you pledge them your support and say, we could use a person like you in Congress. And then you find out that uh, two weeks later, they've changed political parties. They want to defund the police and uh, they, they have completely turned on everything they said they were going to do. Would you have any respect for them? And I think I already know the answer. You would be incensed by that. You would be infuriated by that. And you would probably campaign against them and speak against them. So what do you think this world uh, thinks about us whenever we go to church, whenever we say that we're Christians, we have the little fish sticker on our car and something like that, maybe even a church license tag on the front. And then the next thing they know after we've talked to them, we're violating the very things we say that we believe. We would lack all credibility because they are watching and we're to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our life and our lips have to be saying the same thing. And maybe one of the problems we're having in the culture we live in is that our lips say one thing, but our lives, our lives say another thing. Maybe things don't match up and they don't sync up. And so our children are confused, so they reject everything we say we believe. And maybe that's why uh, eight out of 10 teenagers that are in church today will not be in church by the time they graduate from college. Maybe that's why we are seeing such rebellion and such a generation gap uh, like never before. And uh, we've got to keep that credibility intact by the grace and power of God to live what we say we uh, say we believe, to be authentic, to have integrity, and uh, not to have our uh, neighbors wonder, you know, they told me about five years ago how much they love Jesus and boy, their car is still in the driveway when church would be meeting. What's going on with them? Or they catch us in a sexual affair or they find us 
you know, maybe drunk or high or something like that, or they find us being angry and mean and acting like the world. Uh, all of that is something that should not be in the people of God or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice that Daniel is praying and making supplication before his God. And we saw in last week's text that in his prayer, he was giving thanks to God. And maybe what people need to see is, in spite of hearing what we say we believe, but they need to see us actually in a relationship with God, trusting God, having faith in God, and also being grateful to God for everything that he does. We are such complainers and such whiners now. We all fall into this trap. We have it so easy and we are so comfortable that now if the least little thing upsets us or doesn't suit us, we are offended. We've got our feelings hurt. We're pouting. We're whining. We're crying. We're angry. We are disengaged. We're unplugging. All of those kind of things that go on so easily. Someone asked me one time, why do you think our grandparents didn't get so easily offended and disengaged so easily? And I think this would just be one of the reasons. I think it's because they didn't expect to be comfortable. Life was hard for them, and there were very few things that made life as easy as it is for us. It was a struggle to eat. It was a struggle to pay rent, and um, it was a struggle to deal with heat and drought and cold and snow and all of that type of thing. And so I don't think they ever really expected to be comfortable. So things didn't bother them. They had a thicker skin. They were tougher. But we're so used to everything going our way. And we're so used to everything being so easy. We don't really live like that anymore. And uh, I think that's what happens to us and even to our witness sometime. It's so hard to build up a godly reputation and it's so easy to lose it, isn't it? And I suppose that's always been that way. If we get to heaven, we can have a talk with King David about that, about how hard it is to get to the point where you go from a giant killer to the king's son-in-law to having spears thrown at you to being a hunted and wanted man living in caves for a decade on the run, a fugitive on the lamb, I guess we would say, and then become king and everybody uh, praises God for you and you're writing Psalms and then the Bathsheba thing happens and uh, in an instant you lose your testimony. David's family was never the same again after his affair. Now, David got right with God and God forgave him, but his family didn't seem to do that. And it changed the way he dealt with things. And so uh, back to talking about Daniel again, this idea of being watched and being noticed is something we need to get used to. And I think what we're going to find as time goes on, especially for Christians, you're going to one day apply for a job and they're going to look at your social media and they're going to see what you said on there and stands you took maybe against homosexuality or against the transgender movement or something. And they're going to tell you, no, you wouldn't fit in here. And that'll be uh, one of the ways persecution begins to kind of heat up. Do we really have freedom of speech? Do we really have the freedom of religion? Do we really have those things we've been used to? And they're going to watch. And uh, that's nothing new. Luke twenty twenty says, so they watched him, this meaning Jesus, and look at this. 
and sent spies who pretended to be sincere or righteous, and here's the purpose, that they, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. That's where we find ourselves. But this isn't the first time Christians have been here, and it's certainly not as bad as it has been and has been in other places. But we're, we're seeing it. It's happening. And that's what they did to Jesus. That's also what they did to Daniel. Persecution is something that really is a, a blessing in disguise because of what it does. First of all, it weeds out hypocrites and false converts. It purifies the church. Nobody wants to be a Christian and they don't want to be a church member if it's going to cost them anything unless they're sincere in it. And it also causes faithfulness to actually stand out. It was the persecution Daniel was undergoing in this time that makes him stand out as a hero. And the same thing would be true in your life as persecution comes. And so even in our time, we must never forget that we are being watched. And how do others evaluate your faith? Is there any question about it? Do they have reason to question whether you're for real, whether you're sincere, whether you're sold out? You can always watch somebody who's a communist, and if they're committed to that cause, they will give up everything, even to the point of going to jail or dying for what they believe. What about Christians? Shouldn't we be even more so because we know the truth? When you think about the persecuted church today, it's amazing what they go through and what they put up with because they love the Lord and they value their relationship with Christ above everything else. Family, friends, job, career, government, approval. They don't worry about those things. They just stand up for the Lord. And so the church grows in persecuted countries because they see real Christians finally. Not that I want persecution, but the results of it certainly would be good. Here's another question. How do the demons that are assigned to you, how do they report back? And I'm afraid for a lot of us, they go back and they say, piece of cake. You got anything harder? Send somebody who's a buck private in. You don't need me. Uh, you know, or are they going back saying, um, hell help us. All heaven's breaking loose. The power of God's in this person. They are faithful. I need somebody that outranks me to come back and help me. What are they actually saying? That's your real testimony, what they would say. Number two, not only did they notice, but they told, they tattled to the king. And so they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree right? Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which do not, which does not alter. Boom. Now they've got him. That's all they needed. The king now is trapped and he has got to do what they say. Now, before that, he thought he was building himself up, strengthening his kingdom, strengthening his reputation, signing that law. And remember, they said, sign it according to the law of the Medes and the Persians so it cannot alter. Now he's got to honor all of that or he uh, 
loses all credibility, loses power, maybe sets himself up for some type of a coup or an assassination attempt, or just loses his effectiveness. Either way, this is not good for the king. So they bring him up there and bring it to him, and he actually admits it. Now the trap has been set. He is the mouse that is taking the cheese and the trap is sprung. When you think again about Luke 20, 20, um, a different translation here. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words. Well, that's what they did to the king. They come back to the king and say, uh, pretending to be nice and pretending to be, you know, non-threatening and just benign in the way they approach him. Oh, king, did you sign this? Oh, yeah, I did. And it's signed. You know, he can't stop talking. I signed it and it's according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. There it is. The trap is sprung. And he, like it says in Luke 20, 20, what they tried to do with Jesus, the king now is seized on his words, trapped by his words. Now, they really didn't care for the king. This is not about the king, in other words. This is not about uh, the things they tried to flatter him, to build him up, and to act like this is going to benefit him. This is not about the king. Those are just empty words, and they're uh, falsehoods, actually. And they weren't trying to support the king, strengthen the king, or protect the king. They were using the technicalities of the law and the sovereignty of the king against Daniel and against his gods. Boy, they were good politicians, weren't they? You know, they were the ones that um, some of these names of some of these bills that come out of Congress for the president to sign. And this has been going on for a long time. The title has nothing to do with what's in the bill. The title is more of a disguise. Well, don't you see that here? This idea about no one petitioning anybody but you, O king, that's a disguise for what they really wanted. They wanted Daniel and they wanted him dead. They were plotting against Daniel. They were manipulating under false pretenses so that they could legally commit murder. This is treacherous. The whole thing is treacherous against the king and against Daniel, isn't it? Number three. They tainted him. Okay? The word taint means a trace of a bad or undesirable quality or substance. Okay? If you have your uh, glass of water that you drink uh, with your meal and it's tainted with arsenic or something, then you know what happens. Well, they're, they're trying to put Daniel in a bad light. And there's some reasons for that. And people still do this today. Have you ever heard of the politics of personal destruction, find some dirt, find something wrong, which everybody pretty much has, except Daniel, they couldn't find it, but most everybody else does. And so ruin this person by bringing out something that is wrong in their life, something that is not right, and just utterly destroy them so that nobody votes for them, and so they dare not run for office anymore. Notice what they did to Daniel, verse 13. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, just dripping with hatred and dripping with this uh, venom of, uh, of disgust for this guy, that Daniel. And then they get even uh, deeper on this. Who is one of the captives from Judah? He's not one of us. These are the elites. 
These are the upper crust. These are the people, the ruling class, we might call them. And so uh, it, it says this captive, this Jew, does not show regard for you, O king. Okay, again, I didn't mean that. This is not about the king. This is about them and mainly about Daniel. Does not show regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed that makes this petition that he makes his, um, let me back up here, I turned the page too, too soon, but makes his petition three times a day. And so this Daniel, who was trusted by the king and with good reason, who is about to be made the governor over the governors, as we saw earlier, they have this to say, this, this, that Daniel, that Daniel, one of the Jewish captain, captives, he's not even one of us. Who does he think he is? And that also says something. And who do you think you are for promoting him? It's kind of that underlying threat there in there. And so they had to destroy Daniel in the eyes of the king. And so they're fueling the fire against him. He doesn't deserve to live. After all, that Daniel is just a Jewish captive. What is he doing up here anyway? And they are kind of dehumanizing him to make it easier to kill him. And by the way, that's what uh, we do with the abortion movement. I know that fetus is not an incorrect term for uh, a woman who's carrying an unborn baby. In fact, uh, well, look it up and see what fetus means. But it doesn't have the same impact that baby does, does it? And so uh, nobody comes along and says, well, I've decided to abort this baby. Um, they, they say, we're going to abort the fetus. What are they doing when they use that word? They try to use a word that may not be quite as familiar and quite as understood to dehumanize that baby that's in the womb. It, it just is nice and easy. And that's why you don't hear an abortionist say, we're going to kill a baby, but you never hear an expectant mom saying, oh, I'm going to have a fetus. See, the words kind of convey something to us. Well, that's what they're doing here. They're fueling the fire against him and they're dehumanizing him to make it easier and seem more logical and reasonable to kill Daniel. So they're strengthening their position because they wanted to replace him. Always remember there's an ulterior motive in people like this. Follow the money, follow it to its logical end. What is it doing for them? Why do they care so much? And you'll generally find that it's because it's something that they're going to get out of it. That Daniel, not one of us, a worthless slave, a Jew. And uh, by that, they're saying he's got a different loyalty, king. He's not really one of us. He's got a different God. And he's in violation of a law that had no purpose whatsoever except to entrap Daniel. Classic case of entrapment. Number four, they actually trapped the king. And the king, verse 14 says, when he heard these words was greatly displeased. And notice here, with himself. This guy's got a guilty conscience. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. You know, sin takes you further than you ever wanted to go costs you more than you wanted to pay, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, is the old saying. 
Here it is. He never intended for this to happen, trapped by his own words, by his own ego, and uh, the law that he had signed into being. And then the men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute with the, which the king establishes may be changed. So who's got the power? So who is really free here? So who is really in control here? Well, when we look at it from a human standpoint, it's all of these governors and administrators. When we look at it spiritually, we realize God is in control of this because it's God's will for Daniel to do this, to violate this law, because Daniel serving a higher power, as the Bible says in the New Testament, we ought to obey God rather than men, which means we obey the law of the land until it violates God's law. And that's what Daniel did. I can't stop. God's a higher king than Darius is. And so now he's thrown, going to be thrown in the lion's den and understand this by the will, decree, plan, and purpose of God. Your best life now might be the lion's den, right? And so that's where Daniel is going to go. And he does this by entrapping the king. God is behind all of this, and these people do not know that they are pawns in the hand of a sovereign God. They're unwilling servants of the Most High God, and God's will is going to be done. So he's trapped in spite of his guilt. He can't get out of this. And he has actual guilt that is real, not just guilt feelings. Some people say, I feel guilty. Well, did you do anything wrong? No. Well, then that guilt's illegitimate. Now, if you did something wrong, you ought to feel guilty about it, right? That's one of the ways God uses to discipline us and change us. But so many times the enemy puts guilt feelings on it. Well, in the king's case, these aren't just guilt feelings. He's actually guilty in this matter here, and he's trapped by his own ego. And uh, an actual life is being destroyed, not just a nameless, faceless nobody. This isn't the king's first execution, but he never bothered about it before because he didn't like them. He didn't care about them. He may not even know them. And he may have just intense hatred against them, depending on who they were and what they had done. But not Daniel. Not Daniel. Daniel had no reason to be in this situation, and the king knew it. And so he's trapped in spite of how he really feels. He now regrets the law, and he certainly regrets signing it. And he's trapped in spite of perceived power. You would think a king could get Daniel out of this, but he can't. He can't. He labored all day trying to deliver Daniel. And he's trapped by what seemed to be in his favor at one time. And isn't that the way the enemy works? They come to tempt us to sin and say, you'll feel better, you'll be better, you'll be really free, this will be great. And then you find out that you're trapped by it because the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. When are we going to learn that? Jesus even taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? Because evil only wants to entrap you, enslave you. 
We need to be delivered from that. That's one of the reasons Jesus came. In fact, salvation actually means deliverance out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the clutches of Satan to be brought into life. So this is an all unalterable law that uh, would be seen as a strength. See, this sounds like this puts real teeth in it. When I make a law, it can't be changed. That's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Well, the teeth in that law have now bitten the king. And now it forces him to do what he does not want to do. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13 says, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Isn't that what's happening here? John 19, 21. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. See, Pilate, he knew what he needed to do, but just like King Darius, he's trapped. He's not really the man with the power he thinks he has. And of course, even in the case of Jesus, what was the will of God for Jesus to die on a cross? Nothing's going to stop that. That's the plan and the decree of God for our salvation. These people are just pawns in the hand of a sovereign God, and Pilate is trapped. He can't do anything to thwart the will of God in this situation. Esther chapter 7, verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, and then the wrath of the king abated. And you know, so many times about the time we think we're really getting what we want, we find out that we're trapped, that we can't undo what we've done, and we're the ones who suffer. And like Haman, we're hanged on our own gallows. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. When are we going to believe that? When are we really going to believe that? So let's conclude. Learn from Daniel's faithfulness and also from the manipulation of Darius. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and they are happy to let us fall willingly or unintentionally into their trap because of pride and because of ego. See, the same thing gets us today. Pride still leads to destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We still fall into the snares of the evil one. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we've got to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we've got to put on the full armor of God so that we don't become entrapped by the, what did Paul say in the King James Version? The wiles, the trickery, the schemes of the enemy. And sometimes we know what we're doing and we step right into the trap. Snap. Oh, it's got us. Isn't that a horrible feeling? But it's also bad too to just be willingly ignorant and just skipping along zippity-doo-dah through life and all of a sudden we step into the trap. But here's the deal. The devil doesn't care. However he can get you, however he can ensnare you, however he can discredit you, uh, even if you didn't mean it, even if you were sincere, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He sets traps. He's tricky. And he does that. I put a thing on my Facebook post today by uh, Charles Spurgeon, and it says, uh, 
paraphrase here, you'll never catch the devil asleep. Don't let him catch you sleeping. And that's what happens so often. And uh, the enemy knows exactly what they're doing. They're patient and they wait. That's what they do here. But here's the good news as we conclude. Jesus is Lord and he is the victor. And so the devil is falling into God's trap when this is all said and done. And that is still true today. So cheer up, saint of God. Put your armor on, keep marching, and keep your eyes upon Jesus because everything you see that seems to be going wrong is working together for your good because you love God and are the called according to his purpose. And never divorce Romans 8.28 from Romans 8.29. That is a part of what God uses to make you like Christ. And in the end, it is a win-win situation. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And all God's people said, you're right. Amen. May the Lord bless you and thank you so much for your time today.